Well, hey, welcome Living Hope Church. I am Pastor Tim. Super excited to be with you this morning to share with you about the good news of Jesus' resurrection. The gospel that Christians proclaim, his death and his resurrection, that is the foundation of our faith, is news. It is good news. And news begins with a report. News begins with a report of what happened, an account of what happened. And we look to the New Testament documents, the gospels, to clarify and define for us what it is that happened some 2,000 years ago that now is the foundation of our faith. And what we know is that after Jesus had taught and performed miracles for three years, his following grew to the thousands, but along with that, his enemies grew as well. And there was this Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin that was opposed to Jesus and his messianic claims. Not only did they consider to be him offensive and slanderous to God, but they were concerned that if Jesus' following continued, that the Romans would get involved and take away their power as the leaders of the Jewish nation. And so they determined to see Jesus executed and arrested. When Jesus and his disciples entered Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, the treasurer Judas, probably a combination of discouragement, disappointment, and greed, he made an arrangement. He sold out Jesus to the ruling Jewish council to betray him and have him arrested by the temple guard. That was Thursday night so many years ago. Initially, his followers tried to resist the arrest, but they eventually gave in, and once Jesus was taken into custody, they all deserted him. Jesus then Thursday night spent the night all night in front of the Jewish ruling council being questioned, bouncing around from official to official. The next day, he was dragged and beaten Mocked, stripped, and whipped, and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate reluctantly gave in to the Jewish leaders, the crowds that were shouting for Jesus' head, and he sentenced Jesus to die by Roman crucifixion. Now, there was nothing special or sacred about Roman crucifixion. It was how the Roman government executed criminals. The official charge that Jesus was charged with and executed for was claiming to be the king of the Jews, treason. Jesus was made to then carry the cross beam that he would hang on out of the city to a place called Golgotha, is how you would say it in Aramaic. In Latin, it's Calvary. In English, it's simply the skull. And so Jesus, carrying this cross beam out of the city, eventually collapsed under the weight of it. They pressured another man to carry it the rest of the way. And at about 12 noon, Jesus was pinned down by Roman soldiers, his hands and his feet nailed to the cross, and he was hoisted up, left to hang, suffocating between two other criminals on his left and his right. Only the few of his closest disciples, John, his mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, stayed by to watch, and they watched for three hours as this man who they thought was the Messiah, this man who they thought was going to bring the kingdom of God, hung there, bleeding, gasping for breath. The documents tell us that about three o'clock when his body could take the pain and the suffocation no longer, he cried out with the words from Psalm 31, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now the Romans were thorough at death, and so to be sure that he was dead, they, they took a spear and thrust it into his side and wash, watched as, as, as blood and then the bodily fluids of water gushed out. Now, there was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of this ruling council of the Jews, but he was sympathetic to Jesus' cause. And so he asked for permission to take the body down, that it would not be tossed into a a heap 
as would happen to the rest of the criminals. And so he and another leader, Nicodemus, who was of the Pharisees, took Jesus' body. They wrapped him up in spices and linen, and they laid him in Joseph's very own tomb in the rock, and they rolled a large stone in front of it. The next day, the Jewish leaders got paranoid that the disciples might try to steal the body, fake a resurrection, and so they, they got permission to post a guard of soldiers at the tomb. That was Saturday. Sunday morning, early at sunrise, Mary Magdalene and a few other dedicated women came to the tomb with spices, with perfumes to anoint Jesus' body. When they arrived, they found that the stone was rolled away. The guards were passed out. The tomb was open. An angel appeared to them and said, you don't look for Jesus here. He is risen. They immediately ran off to go find the disciples to tell them the tomb was empty. The disciples, skeptical, not believing their word, initially didn't believe, but Peter and John ran as fast as they could to the tomb to investigate for themselves. They looked in, they saw that the tomb was empty, and they returned with joy, the scriptures say. Later that morning, Mary Magdalene was the very first person on earth to see the resurrected Jesus. That night, Jesus appeared to his disciples, invited them to touch his wounds. He ate with them. And for the weeks that follow, our Savior Jesus continued to meet, to appear, to make himself known to his followers, to teach them, to prepare them for his disciples. Forty days he remained on earth until he gathered his disciples together and ascended back up into heaven. Friends, family, that is the news. That is the account. That is the good news that we celebrate. These historical events are the very foundation of our faith. And not just because Jesus rose from the dead, not just because it's a great victory for him, but listen, when you place faith in him, when you call him Savior, you rise with him. Amen? That's been our theme for the last four weeks as we've been preparing ourselves for, the, for Easter Sunday, for the resurrection, that we have been raised with Christ. And I've been calling you to remember not only faith and the necessity of his death, but faith and the necessity of his resurrection, that we have been Raised with Christ. And so I've encouraged you to think about the gospel as an ellipse, right? With two center points. The idea is is that Jesus died, yes, to take away our sin, but he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And so we have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. And that means for you and I that his death and resurrection is our salvation. It's our new life. It's our hope. Not metaphorically or spiritually, but actually in our heart and bodily when we rise again after death. And so we've been looking the last few weeks at the theological and the personal implications of the resurrection. We saw the very first week of our series that the resurrection validates Jesus as the Savior of the world. See, Scripture makes it quite clear that the resurrection is not just some big final miracle. It's not just the the cherry on top of Atonement Sunday that Jesus died and, oh, look, he rose again. Our salvation comes not only by the death of Jesus, but also by the resurrection. It says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And as my dear professor and and scholar who spent his life unpacking the meaning of the resurrection says, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the ground of the believer standing before God and the hinge of the transformed life. That's Dr. Richard Gaffin. We saw the second week that the resurrection secures our future resurrection into eternal life. That one day you will be raised with Christ. This is your future, what we call glorification, when we will be raised into glory at Christ's return, raised up 
to an eternal life in a resurrected body. Thirdly, we saw last week that the resurrection brings us to life. That means it's through the power of the resurrection that you are born again, your heart transformed. You have been raised with Christ. This is your regeneration, that you are justified into righteousness when God saved you. So you're joined with Christ in his death, and so your life of sin dies on the cross, and you're joined with Christ in his resurrection, raised up to new life. This is what it says in Romans 6, 4, and 5, summarizing this beautiful truth. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so continuing this theme, I want us to look this morning at this fourth reality, that the resurrection empowers the Christian life. Yes, you have been raised with Christ. Yes, you one day will be raised with Christ. But day by day, you are being raised with Christ. Your present, ongoing sanctification to become holy. Your your obedience through the Holy Spirit as you are matured and empowered to live the Christian life. And so this morning, I want us to unpack this idea that the resurrection empowers the Christian life. And I told myself on Thursday, or Wednesday probably, I was only going to have three points this morning because it's Easter and you guys want to go eat ham. But I couldn't do it. We're going to have four points this morning. So we're going to look at four, four critical concepts about this idea that Jesus' resurrection is what empowers your Christian life. We're going to first look at Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn open to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I also had mercy on you, so the texts are going to be on the screen this morning. But I just want to show you, first of all, that, that Scripture does, in fact, teach that the resurrection is what empowers our lives. So first, we're just going to look at this idea that we are empowered by the resurrection. Then we'll look at three different implications. So in, in Ephesians chapter 1, what we see here as Paul articulates the gospel is that the power that's at work in us is the exact same power that raised Christ from the dead. In Ephesians 1, he's, he's praying for the Christians. He's praying for our Heavenly Father's work in their hearts. And he prays this in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Read along with me on the screen or in your Bible. Ephesians 1, 18 says, Paul's praying that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the Father's, in the heavenly places. <clears throat> See, listen, the Father's desire for those of us that believe in Christ is that the eyes of our heart, the spiritual eyes of our lives would be enlightened, that we would know the greatness of God's power toward us. How great is God's power? Well, it's immeasurable, we just read. You can't measure. You cannot measure in any kind of human capacity God's power. So if you can't measure it, how can you understand it? Well, we're told here in verses 19 and 20, this is how you can understand God's power toward you. It's according to God's great might, the same power that was at work in Christ when the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in heaven on the throne of grace. That's the power that's at work in you. Did you catch that? Now listen, we all know that God is powerful. You can look at the world around you and know that a being that created our world must be powerful. We know that God's power is at work in our hearts. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've felt it. We've experienced God's transforming power. We couldn't live the Christian life 
We couldn't see God. We couldn't know God. We couldn't accept God or love God or even attempt to walk with him without his power at work in our life. But here is the amazing truth of this passage. It's not just God's power generally. But here's the truth, and this is the truth that I don't often understand or embrace or certainly live in, but the power that is at work in my struggles, in my broken life, it's the same power that worked in Jesus' life when his dead body lay in the tomb. The same power that enabled Jesus to conquer sin, death, and the devil. The same power that filled Jesus' dying corpse, dead corpse, excuse me, in the tomb, that enabled him to walk out of the tomb is the same power at work in my life. And listen, that's not an analogy. It's the same Holy Spirit and the same power of God. If you don't take my word for it, take Kyle's word for it. I mean, here's a man three years ago walking in darkness, walking in the futility and the brokenness of the world. Didn't have believers in his life. Had a father who was a believer who he had been separated from for 20 years. How is it that Kyle began to be interested in, in the Lord? How is it Kyle began to be drawn to Jesus as the world around him was distracting and, and, and tearing Jesus down? Kyle's heart began to say, there must be something to this Jesus. Kyle's heart began to say that the, the emptiness and the recklessness of the world must not be where the answer is. The dude downloaded a Bible app. That was all he had. And God began to draw him and empower him and transform him and bring him from darkness into light. The same power, amen. The same power that filled the dark tomb of Jesus and brought him to light. The power that's at work in Christ is at work in us. And so, look, first of all, I just want you to see that. I just want you to see, first of all, that you are empowered by the resurrection. And if you're here today and you don't know that, if you don't know what it's like to live with God, if you don't want to know what it's like to have that peace and that hope, if you don't want to know what it's like to look, to look at God and call him Father, to know his love, to know that you have a hope, I hope and pray that today will be a day when you'll look to the Lord, when you ask him to fill your heart, and you ask him for that power. You say, Lord, I'm weak, I'm powerless, I struggle, I don't believe, I can't believe. Times I want, I want to have you in my life, but at other times I don't. Just be real honest with him and be honest with him that you are powerless and you need his power. And it's as simple as this. It's as simple as A, B, and C. You admit. You admit that you're powerless. You admit that you cannot find God. You cannot work your way to God. You admit that you've failed him. You admit that you've turned your back on him. You admit that you've selfishly given in to what the Bible calls sin. And then you believe, you believe that Jesus is a savior that has hope outside of you. That he's a savior who died for you, who rose again for you. And then you commit, you commit to trust him, to follow him. You invite his spirit in your heart. And you commit by the grace of God with all the faith that he's given you. Faith as small as a tiny little seed. That God, I give you whatever I have, and I trust and believe in you. And that power can enter your life this morning. And it can empower you, not just to believe, not just to get a ticket to heaven, but to now live out and to now walk out your Christian life. To be empowered, as we're going to see in Romans 8, to be empowered by the Spirit of God to walk and to please God. Look at Romans chapter 8. We see here that, that the, the Christian life, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the resurrection power, is a life that we are empowered to please God. Now, in Romans chapter 8, 
is talking about the difference between those who live in the flesh and those who live by the Spirit. Those who do not know Christ and those who do know Christ. And earlier in the chapter it says that those that are still living in the flesh, still living outside of God, cannot please God. Their minds are set on death, it says. They can't truly experience life. They live according to their sinful nature. And only those who live according to God's Spirit, only those who have been transformed, who have a new nature, have minds that are set on life and set on peace. And so in verse 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 8, it says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Christian, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Listen to this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Ron, say amen louder. Thank you, brother. Listen, those who have not yet been transformed by Christ, who are still struggling, who still have their backs turned to Him, who are not yet filled with the Spirit of God, it is hopeless for you to ever please God. You're stuck, stuck in sinful patterns. See, apart from the grace of God, we can never please God. We can never know God. Because in our sin, God cannot approve of us or delight in us. We cannot please Him. However, if you have been released and delivered from your sinful flesh, from your selfish urges, if you're a Christian now living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you belong to Christ, and that means that the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of, of God dwells in you. And so verse 10 says, when Christ is in you, even though your physical body will one day die because of sin, the Spirit of God has made you righteous. And it's giving you spiritual life. We see in, in verse 11 that it's the resurrection that's the crucial link to this life we have in Christ. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, if that same Spirit lives in you, then the God who gave Jesus new life and raised Him from the dead will also give you the same life in your dying mortal body through the same Spirit that dwells in you. See, because we are raised with Christ his resurrection is not only the power that causes you to be born again spiritually to new life. His resurrection is not just the power that will one day raise you up with a physical body into heaven, but His power is right now, day by day, the power that raises you and empowers you for the Christian life every day. And that professor of mine, Richard Gaffin, as he's looking at this text, he says we, we learn not only in this passage that we will have a bodily resurrection someday in the future, but that also now that the spirit of the resurrection is the indwelling spirit. He says, quote, he is already present in believers. This points us to a fundamental truth about the Christian life. Life in the spirit is sharing in the resurrection life of Christ. 2,000 years ago seems like a long time, but right now, Christian, you share in the resurrection life of Christ through the Holy Spirit in your heart. The same Spirit at work in Him is at work in you. And, and as we look at the context of Romans 8, guess what that means? That means we can please God, right? In the flesh, you can't please God, but by the Holy Spirit, we are pleasing to God, that His empowering presence enables you, fills you with resurrection power, enabling you to live a life pleasing God. Now this morning you might have woken up 
Or surely one week, one day last week, you woke up and, and you felt tired. You felt worn out. Some of, some of us woke up feeling worthless, feeling incapable. You may wake up on a, on, a, on a morning feeling unlovable, feeling lifeless. You may feel like you're dying inside. But the Word of God says this. If the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, if He dwells in you, won't He also give life to your body? Empowering you with resurrection life. Now you may not always feel like you're pleasing to God. And yes, we stumble. And yes, we fall. But listen, our status before God as one who is pleasing to Him is not based upon how you feel. It's not based upon how good you lived that day. It's based upon this fact. Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you, dwells in you, empowering you with resurrection life. And just as He is pleased with the Son, He is pleased with you. He looks on you with the same favor, with the same joy, with the same fatherly approval on you in Christ as he does his very own son, Jesus. And man, this, this verse, Hebrews, Hebrews 8, 11, is one of those verses that I have held on to through the years, that in my low points, in my struggles with sin, that in my low points, in, in family struggles, in parenting struggles, in church leadership challenges, in, in all the highs and lows of life, this is a verse that I have held on to. Now you may say, but, but Pastor Tim, you, you're always high. Like you're, you're always excited. You're always optimistic. That's because you see me on my best on Sunday morning, right? I mean, how good is this to be able to sit with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship and proclaim the word? And I'm so grateful. You, you see me at my high, but, but, but I get deflated. Anybody ever feel deflated in life, right? I got a little deflated yesterday. We've got a, a, a beautiful yard but there's lots of flower beds, lots of weeding and mulching and tree trimming. And, and it's like, spring is coming, yay. Oh, wait, we got we to gotta fix up the yard. So I get myself all psyched up, right? I get my tools out. I get the, you know, clippers. I'm going to trim a tree and, and weed. I got, I got 30 bags of mulch. And I get out there. I'm, I got myself all psyched up. And I, and I get out there ready to trim our little cherry tree in front of the garage. And I realize, oh, no, I got to take down the Christmas lights before I can trim the tree. <laughs> right? Like I deflated. Yeah, whoops. But I, I have other times of, of, of true, true soul, soul-questioning discouragement. And you want to know when it often is for me? It's Sunday night. Man, I, I, I'm on this high. I see what God is doing in your lives, and we worship together, and I, I get the joy of proclaiming the gospel to you guys. And I, and I leave here, and my wife will tell you I am hyped up. I mean, a couple hours, I am like riding adrenaline, riding the Spirit of God. But at some point, I crash. I crash. I come down off of that high. And I'm the type of person, if you know me well, you know this. I have high highs, and I have low lows. There's nothing in between for me. And at some point, usually Sunday night, I begin to question everything, my calling, the church, the, the truth of who God is. And I feel deflated, I feel discouraged, I feel unworthy. What, what am I doing? What right do I have to be proclaiming this? And I have to remind myself of this truth on Sunday nights and every day when I wake up. And, and I formulate this as a question. And I ask myself, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if He dwells in me, won't He also give life to my mortal body through His Spirit that dwells in me? 
When I feel deflated, when I feel discouraged, Christian, when you can't get out of bed, when you are tired, when you feel lifeless, when you feel like a fraud, when your doubts outweigh your faith, when your disobedience outweighs any attempt that you have to follow God, won't the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, who dwells in you, won't he also give life to your dying body? We are empowered to live for God, to please God. And yet hear this, Christian. Living life empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of the risen Christ, doesn't mean that you never face difficulty. It doesn't mean that you never face hardship, that you will never suffer. But resurrection power means that we are empowered in our suffering. Listen, the Scriptures do not pull any punches when they describe the challenges of the Christian life. If you're following along in your Scripture, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen, we suffer. Sometimes Christians suffer because we simply live in a world filled with pain and sorrow and evil and struggle. Sometimes our suffering comes because we are Christians, because we have given our lives to a different kingdom, a king who has been crucified, who has now been raised. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the word of God is describing for us the salvation we have in Christ, and it's describing the glory of what God has done for us and his love for us and his plan for us as a treasure. But listen to what it says about this treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, this resurrection power, belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also, may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Guys, Christ is a treasure, the greatest treasure you will ever seek after. But he is a treasure that we now hold in a fragile, breakable, flawed jar of clay. And while we are subject to cracks and imperfections, this only serves to highlight a reality. It only serves to highlight that the more surpassing, extraordinary power in our lives is from God. It cannot be from us. And so because God's resurrection power fills us, that means that even when we are afflicted, afflicted in every way imaginable, we are not crushed. And when you are confused and perplexed and uncertain, In Christ, you are not driven to despair. And when you feel ostracized or persecuted for your faith, you are not abandoned by God. Even when you are knocked down by life, you are not destroyed. See, because verse 10 says that even though your life of suffering may feel like you're always carrying around the suffering and the death of Jesus in your body, in your life on earth, this is only so that the life of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus may also manifest, may also be displayed in your life on earth. And again, some of us feel this. We feel as though we're constantly dying 
And you may hear the story of Jesus, and you feel like, I just feel like every day I'm dying with Jesus on Friday afternoon at the cross. But hear this, that is only so that you can also rise with Jesus on Sunday morning out of the tomb. You hear that? Verse 11 reiterates the same thing. In life we're constantly suffering and being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus can also be manifested in our temporal flesh. And so when your body aches, it is so that you can rejoice in the healing power of Christ's resurrection. When you are mistreated for your faith, it is so that you can find strength in the sustaining power of Christ's resurrection. When you grieve the loss of a loved one, it is so that you can receive comfort and peace in the power of Christ's resurrection. When you are harmed by the sin of others, it is so that you can forgive in the power of Christ's resurrection. See, because we have been raised with Christ, we are empowered not just to live the Christian life, but we are empowered to walk through suffering in the Christian life. And so, verse 16 says, we do not lose heart. We don't bury our head in the pillow. We don't just throw up our hands and give up. Though our outer self is slowly wasting away and dying, our inner self, our spiritual being is being renewed, resurrected day by day by the power of the resurrection as we are formed more and more into the image of Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks about this reality in multiple places, but there's this beautiful personal expression in Philippians chapter 3 where he talks about his passionate desire. He says he wants to leave everything else behind and he wants to gain Christ. And his pursuit is that he may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you want to know him this morning? Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? Do you want to know the fellowship of his suffering? Do you want to attain to the resurrection from the dead? Come in faith to Christ. Let him fill you and empower you. Amen. You got one more in you. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. I just want us to see real briefly how the resurrection empowers us to seek heavenly things. In in chapter 2 of Colossians, The Word of God is talking about how self-made religion is useless, how rituals and regulations have no value, no power to stop our sinful flesh. However, as, as we've seen, we no longer live in the flesh. We have died with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. And so we have been raised to new life. And so Colossians 3, beginning of the very beginning of that chapter, says this. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen, if this scripture is true, and if your faith is in Christ, then his spirit fills you, and it is true. If it is true that you have been raised with Christ, then the call is to seek the things that are above. After all, that's where Christ is. That's where he's seated. He's seated at the throne of grace, at the right hand of God. And since you are now seated with him, God calls us and he expects us to set our mind on the things above, not on earthly things. And he also empowers us to do just that. Now, things above is a bit vague. 
Set your mind on things above. You know, like, what does that mean? The clouds? No. Get your head out of the clouds. But it's compared to earthly things, right? So the things above are compared to earthly things. So the things above are what? Heavenly things. We're we're called to set our mind on the things of heaven where Christ is seated. That means that the attributes of God, the priorities of God, the values of the crucified, risen Christ in heaven are what we pursue. And so we don't seek earthly things like pleasure or comfort. We seek heavenly things like peace and joy. The call of the Christian is to not set your life on the pursuit of earthly things like temporal wealth and worldly power, but heavenly things like God's kingdom and God's glory. See, through faith you are empowered not to set your mind and not to dwell on the evil and the pain of this world, but on the victory and the new life that is yours in Christ. Yes, we still live here and now in a fallen world. Yes, we still live in a place of pain and struggle. But you have been delivered. You have been set free. You have been adopted, forgiven, loved, transformed. And you are seated in heaven. Raise your hand if you remember the, the, the good old days back in the dungeon, as I call it, our old worship center, when we were sitting on those red chairs, right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to keep your hand up, but I would say keep your hand up if you ever complained about those red chairs. Because over the years, man, we, people did not like those red chairs. They were too narrow. They were too firm. They were too tough, right? I thought they were fine, but I stood most of the service, so. Now we got these comfy blue chairs. They're wide. They're soft. They're plushy, right? Like, we, we, we got it made, Listen, hear this, Colossians 3 says the truest reality in your life is not that you are right now sitting in a blue chair in a wide gymnasium. That is not the truest reality of your life. The truest reality of your life is that you are seated right now with Christ in heaven at the right hand of God in the throne of grace. That is the truest reality of your life. And so the resurrection now empowers us to seek that reality, set our mind on that reality of God's kingdom. How many of you every day battle controlling your thoughts? Whether it's anxiety, whether it's anger, whether it's self-deprecation, you battle to control your thoughts. How many of you every day battle to fend off anger and discouragement? How many of you face a constant struggle to not set your mind on temporal things, to remind yourself of what's truly important? We now are empowered to do just that. I see that in my brother Isaac. I just asked you to raise your hand. But raise your hand if you think Isaac is an upbeat, hopeful, optimistic guy. Yeah, you only got to be around him for 10 minutes. But I've gotten to know Isaac quite well over the years. And here's what I know about Isaac. That hopeful heart and attitude that he has, he has to fight for. Every day he has to fight for. He lived, he lived with us for several years. There's, there's nothing special about him. He sets his mind and his heart on Christ. He fights every day. He called me this week. Sorry, brother, but he called me this week. He's facing some challenges. He had some struggles. He asked me to pray with him, to encourage him. But do you know how Isaac faces these challenges? You listen to your grandfather, don't you? What'd your grandfather tell you? Nice and loud. Keep looking up. Isaac's got it tatted right here in case he ever forgets. Keep looking up, Christian. Set your mind on things above. Seek the things of heaven. Seek first God's kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. The simple, profound truth that you have been raised with Christ. 
As the worship team comes, we're going to prepare to sing again, to celebrate again. Put your faith in Christ, and in him you find a life empowered, a life empowered by the resurrection, empowered by the Spirit of God in you. Listen to this. You are now empowered to walk with God. You are now empowered to please God. Those who struggle, who feel like a failure, who feel unworthy, you please God by the Spirit indwelling in you. And you are empowered to stand strong. Those of you that are facing pain and hardship, that are suffering, you are empowered by God's Spirit through the resurrection to walk in peace and in joy. And you are empowered even now to set your mind on things above, to seek the things of Christ, to not get distracted and discouraged, to to not put your head down, but to keep looking up. So let's stand together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the news of the Christian faith. We are grateful that we don't follow a list of rules or a moral teaching or a helpful philosophy. We follow a, a Savior, fully God, fully man, who lived for us, who died for us, who rose for us. And we pray even now that your Holy Spirit would fill us, renew us day by day, fill us with new faith, with new strength, with new courage, that we could be men and women empowered to walk with you, empowered to shine your light out to our families and neighbors. Come even now as we worship and fill us with renewed faith. Fill those who walked in here this morning without faith, discouraged, struggling. Draw them to you. Empower them with the resurrection. We worship and we celebrate as a family because our Jesus rose again. Hear our prayer. Hear our worship.